if you can, and I know it's harder now with everything that's going on in the world, is is find your community. Find people who do what you do, learn from every person around you. Don't get all high and mighty about your art. Art is fluid. It's not precious. It's supposed to constantly move. Everyone's got their own situation. And I, I think, again, it's the, the not quitting is a huge part of it. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in TV, film, commercials, and off-Broadway. And every week, I bring you an incredible mentor in entertainment, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. Happy Mentor Monday, everyone. Welcome to season two of Mentors on the Mic podcast. Thanks for joining me. This is a very special episode. I'm so excited to introduce you to Emmy-nominated composer, producer, musician, songwriter, Bo Black. Now, Bo is currently creating all of the music for three shows and two TV features on Disney. When I say all the music, I mean, he produces, he plays all the instruments, he writes the lyrics, he provides vocals for many of the songs, and he's worked with artists and actors on the tracks, just all of it. It's so incredible. He puts so much content out. He creates so much content every week. It's incredible. And he's been doing this forever. So he, from a very young age, sang with his dad, who was the lead singer of Jay and the Americans, which is a huge band in the 60s with hits like This Magic Moment and Cara Mia. It's, in- it's incredible to think about. And I personally am so excited to introduce you to this wonderful man because he is my cousin. So you get to see a little bit of that dynamic on the podcast because I'm so, so proud of him. He's my older cousin. I'm usually the older cousin. I have so many younger cousins. So it's nice to have this older cousin in my life. And I'm incredibly proud of him. So it's different for other guests that I have on the podcast. I get to research them. And, you know, for him, I will research him and I'll be like, I remember this. I remember your performance at the bitter end. I remember you performing with your dad. I remember, you know, getting your first EP and it's so freaking good, guys. But yeah, so I'm excited for you to hear this one. Without further ado, here's Bo Black. What was your first role in the entertainment industry? <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought that was funny for you. That is a funny one. I mean, I would say probably my dad taking me on stage. When I was like an infant, he would take me out at wow. the end of the show when he'd say goodbye to the audience. He would take me out. I'd be in this little like tuxedo, baby tuxedo, like no joke, a wow. baby tuxedo. And then he would kind of, <laughs> he like one hand, he'd just kind of show oh, me to the crowd. That's safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and that was it. And then I think he did that until I was, I don't know, like one or two years old. And then I, I, I think I told him I don't want to do it anymore or something. I, you know, I just don't want to go on stage. It was scary. Yeah. And then when and then I was, was like eight, a seven year gap. Yeah. There, there was like a seven year <laughs> gap when I was eight years old. I, he called me out to, to come on stage during a gig completely by surprise and made me forced labor made me sing one of his songs and was whispering the lyrics in my ear because i didn't know all the lyrics yeah and i was sitting there shaking singing it and it went over so well 
that he was like, and he was also like, you know what? I get a break during the show now. And he was like, I'm going to make this a thing. And pretty much I did that, not him whispering the lyrics in my ear, but I sang with him until I was in my early 20s. So what? Um, how many shows was that approximately, you think? Between eight and my early 20s? Or just like even uh, during a, like the course of a year. Like I can't remember how many gigs he had in like a year around that time. It was a lot. I mean, yeah. and the thing is, because my parents were divorced, I would spend the weekends with my dad and that's when he typically had his shows. Why? So, you know, and then I would, as I got a little older, I'd miss a lot of school if he had things during the week or we had to travel. My mom was super cool about that. She, she loved it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I couldn't give you a number. Yeah, it's fine. I, just I mean, I, I, I can imagine by the, like total or in the high hundreds to a thousand, wow. maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Because I know crazy. towards like a certain point, he only did like a couple a year at some, like one of those big yeah. ones. So I, I think that's when I was like, cohe- like understanding all of that. I would say towards the end of, well, I mean, because I, he, he had kept going even after I stopped, you know, being a part of the show. Uh, and that was definitely few and far between because yeah. he was just not into it. I think you're thinking about, he would have, two gigs at Westbury Music That's Fair, in Long Island, which, yeah. which isn't even Westbury Music Fair anymore. I don't even know yeah. what it's called. I don't know. He'd have two gigs a year. And like, that was like his staple, like hometown gig. And he would, you know, he had like the record for selling it out. And, but yeah, I mean, he would do, you know, gigs all year round. Yeah. You know, I mean, it depended. It, like, I remember when, when I would say when I was like, I want to say 12, 13 years old, he had like a good resurgence because there was this like nostalgia thing going on, you know? Right. And I think he had a new manager and he was, he was gigging a lot. I mean, he hated every yeah. minute of it, Oh, but, really? but yeah, it was not. And he got to do not. a lot of, I mean, he got like the rights to do a lot of Roy Orbison songs. So I know that that was like a huge thing for him too, right? Like, well, they were, they were really close actually. Yeah. Yeah. They were super close and he loved Roy Orbison. That was like his, his idol. And yeah, Roy talked my dad into not quitting the business in the seventies. Wow. There's no a idea. story, which I, I hope is true <laughs> that, cause who knows anymore Right. that he, Roy found out my dad was about to quit and told my dad to meet him at like JFK and the lounge, you know, and they sat down together and Roy was like, hold on, just, just wait a little bit before we talk about this. And Elvis Presley came over and they all sat together and talked about my dad's career and, and wow. not quitting. And wow. he decided not to quit. Yeah. yeah. I hope that story is true. I, I mean, again, I, yeah. who knows? Do you feel like you got over like, or do you ever get, get over like performance anxiety and nerves and stuff? Cause you just have done it for so long. I think towards the end, yes. Yeah. I th- when I started doing my own gigs, though, with my band, yeah. the performance anxiety came back a bit just because yeah. it, uh, it was just a different thing, you know? Like, I-, I was handling a lot more of it and just, yeah. It was just, it's your own it was like, music. It's not like you didn't really do covers anymore, I feel like, or not as much. No, no, I, I didn't do any covers. Uh, I mean, yeah, I maybe do an occasional one, but yeah, it was like starting over again or something, you know? Yeah. I, I have some gigs that, you know, there were like 10 people at them. And it was, so sort of to insert my own memories for a second before we continue, like I remember you performing with Jay, right? Mm-hmm. And you being so 
so good. And just like, I think you were saying <laughs> dream or something. And I was like, yeah, I did. Roy Orbison yeah. I was like, both so good. Like Danielle and I, my sister would just like rave about it. And then flash forward, like, I think you had gone out of high school and you were touring a bit. You went to Berkeley for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. I think during that time you were performing. And I remember I saw, I caught a show at the bitter end in New York and you were yep, doing your own stuff. Place. And I was yep. like, we loved your music. I mean, granted, so like for context, Bo is my only older cousin, really. So it was the only person I could look up to. <laughs> Family, it's true. And so I'd see you doing something creative and like putting your own work out there. And I just always thought you were so amazing and wonderful. And also just talented because you are. But how is it? Can I go now? Yeah, right. That's, that's like, what else do you need? Yeah. But like when you started doing your own stuff, can you talk about that? Like when you first put an EP together and like started writing mm-hmm. your own stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd been writing songs, I think, since I was maybe 12 or 13 years old when I like had the something popped in my head. Oh, I can write a song. I don't know. It took me a while to figure that out. And I, you know, I basically went to Berkeley to find a band. Like I didn't really want to study or do anything. And I dropped out after, I think, a little under two years because <clears throat> I just wasn't cut out for it you know, the whole classroom thing, but I went there to find the band Wow! and I did, I, I did find a band temporarily, but we had this like kind of Grateful Dead jam band thing. Cause I was big into like that sort of vibe. And after leaving Berkeley, I went back to New York and just, I kind of, you know, I had kind of very little options. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just start doing gigs locally and kind of try to build something. And yeah, I, I had, I think I went through like two bands uh, in New York, the two different sets of bands that work that I worked with, you know, and then I went, came out to California to do some writing because I, I wasn't doing any sort of collaboration until, I don't know, a couple of years into doing my own stuff. So what was the dream back then? Like, what was the goal if there was any? I mean, the goal was to, to be an artist and tour and yeah. make records. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I don't think I don't think it was a dream because I, I was kind of doing told it? that this is what I was going to do okay. by everyone from a young age. No, I had no choice. I had no wow. choice. I sound bitter, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> like, but I, I, I literally had no choice but thinking, oh, this is you know, this is what I do, you know? So yeah. I'm just going to do it. Right. I always had in the back of my mind that like, there's a possibility that I will not succeed mm-hmm. because that's just reality. It's kind of funny. Actually, I found an old video. I must've been like 15 years old me and my friends. We were like videoing each other. And my friend said to me like, you know, what do you want to do when you get, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up or something like that? And I said, you know, I want to be like a famous musician. And I said, but if I don't make it, then I'll just like make music and just try to make some money making music. And I had like a little sense of reality there a little bit, you know, where I wasn't just banking on being a successful musician, but I was banking on at least making a living out of it, you know? Yeah. So I, just cause I I don't really have any other skills, honestly. (laughs) Well, I mean, you have a lot of skills in that department. So just just that department. It balances out. (laughs) I I can't do anything else. I can work a computer maybe, but that's about it. I mean, that's important. So, so you go out to California. I mean, this is really when like, I thought, I think you made your EP 
before, but that's when you're yeah. really pushing it out and like doing, like you did like all that marketing for it and like, right? uh, well, are you, you're talking about before like the first record. Shoot. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm talking about that part. Yeah. 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 yeah I did like a, a, a very simple acoustic. I think I recorded in like a day that, yeah, it was like, I was like only like six songs. I, I remember I, I just needed something to give at the show, you people. know, yeah, yeah, something. Yeah. But I developed my first record for, I would say, like about a year. I went to California. I went to Toronto with the guy who wound up, this guy, Justin Gray, who wound up producing the whole record. Yeah. And after like accumulating a bunch of songs, I went and lived in Toronto for a couple of months to make the record, which was fun. And what record Um, is this? It's called Meant to Be. Meant to Be, right. Thank you for. I love it. I love it. Thank you I'm for gonna, helping me promote something because I, I wouldn't have said anything. It's okay. I'm going to put all of this in the show notes anyway because obviously okay. super proud. But Meant to Be is amazing. I still listen to it. It's great. And so <laughs> the songs hold up. The, the songs, songs hold, do up. hold up. I they do. The production not so much in my opinion because yeah. it kind of has like that like 2000s power pop thing, you know. Yeah. Like, but the that. songs I I always I do wanted the I songs to be. I always wanted the songs to be like a little more like classically written, you know? Yeah. Well, that's really like your vibe. I mean, at the time, like, how would you describe your vibe? Like your song vibe, kind of? Because you have a very distinct voice when you sing. I am of the, what's the word? I'm the class of the Beatles, basically. That's it. The Beatles are everything for me. Uh, So they're my root. And then, you know, I have a, I've always listened to older music. I've I've never been in yeah. tune with what's going on at the time. I mean, I'm aware of it, but I, I, I yeah. don't like it. Yeah. Even there was a song that came on just in my shuffle. I think it was like a Bowie song. It was like a very deep cut Bowie song. And I was talking to my wife and I was like, I was listening to this when I was like 15. Like, and she was like, that's so weird. <laughs> nobody was listening to this at 15 you know like yeah so I was always a little bit of it but that informed I think your sound and still does like I still feel like you hear a little bit of that old school classic yeah no definitely I I, it's hard to escape it it's it for me it's like if you're able to get immersed in that music of that time it's really hard to appreciate things that came after that Mm -hmm. because there is a loss of quality doesn't mean that there isn't great stuff out there. I mean, yeah. you just have, you have to find it. Like, you really have to try and find it. In my yeah. opinion, yeah, I think it, I don't listen to the radio though. Like, yeah, you're not like a pop fan. No, I'm not. No, it's no. everything's way too indulgent now for me. You know, it's very like, well, everything's indulgent, I guess now. For yeah, so you're in California. Walk me through it. You're in California. You're promoting your your record. You're putting that together, and then and then what? What's going on? <laughs> and so, because I think yeah, it's an important part of the story. This yeah. is an important part of the story, I guess. I was setting up to tour. I mean, I, I put a whole band together. We had like auditions of all these musicians, and yeah, I, I something hit me where I was like, you know what? I don't want to do it. I don't know. I I don't want to tour. I don't want to do the shows. I had a really important conversation with scott our uncle who was who i was working with at the time and he was like well it's done then i mean he he basically said to me i guess it's done 
And I, yeah, it, it's funny because it didn't like now looking at it, it, it seemed like, oh yeah, like, you know, it was cool. Like I just like decided I didn't want to do this, but it was devastating when, when I decided I just don't want to do this. I don't want to go do like these little college gigs and, you know, playing in, in cafeterias and, you know, during the day, like, you know, for free hot dog day and Michigan state or whatever. Like I, I, I just, I didn't have it in me. I don't, I, I think it was just all the years of like doing this and then realizing I actually don't enjoy it as much as I thought I did. did you I never have, like, thought about whether I enjoyed it actually. Was it like an ex- existential thing where you're like, you had to then sort of develop like what you did enjoy from it? Like, did you have to break apart? Like, okay, I don't enjoy this. I do enjoy mm-hmm. this. I enjoyed making music. Yeah. Performing music was not the part I enjoyed. And then also everything around it, like just touring in general is brutal. Exhausting, I'm sure. Yeah. And the work, it has nothing to do with the stage show. The stage show is like the break and the fun part. Everything else is just grueling. Yeah. And then the Um, promotion aspect of it, like having to do all the... Yeah. And having to, you know, think about looking a certain way, being a certain way, having to find the place I fit into having a bunch of executives like music executives that were just some of the just I'm not going to say it well I'm just trying not to be that person but just very off-putting I'm that's like the kindest way to say it off-putting just people just I don't know trying to mold you a certain way or tell you you're not this and you're not that you know and I just was like I just want to make music I don't you know I don't want any of this shit so so what was the next step what'd you do then I got a job in catering (laughs) yeah bringing bringing trays around I know seriously seriously god I'm catering how'd that go how long it was only a couple of months it was it was pretty short-lived so I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to like get good at this production thing. Cause I, before then I wasn't really recording myself. I always needed someone to record me. I always needed someone to produce the stuff. And I had this like stupid idea in my head that I was like, no, I'm going to focus on, you know, just like being the creator of the music and, you know, the instruments, the my talent. vocals. Yeah. And like, let them do all the technical stuff. It was a dumbest thing I ever thought because it set me back years I think if I you know I, sh- I should have just I should have done it from the start so I yeah I started developing production skills and then I got hooked up with this company oh forgetting a key part of this don't do that during the time that I kind of quit so-called quit I got a call that AT&T wanted to use one of yes my songs right. off the record. And it was one of those things that like, I found out on a Monday and it aired on a Thursday. Wow. It, it was like, we need this right now. And it was a $90,000 license. Yeah. Which I've never, like, I was like, oh, oh my God, yeah. this is nuts. For like a song that you wrote. Or just, yeah. Just to show like announce a phone or something. It was like a new phone. Yeah. And it kind of sparked this whole thing of like, oh, wait, okay, so my songs can actually be used, like they can have a home somewhere, yeah. you know, outside of me having to be the vehicle for it, you know? 
they can actually live somewhere and, and, and work for something else and I can make money, which is huge key. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, th- that led to something where I met with this company called nonstop music, who it's a li- a music library company, which basically they, you know, accumulate all this, you know, original, all these original compositions and they license it for whatever, right. All over the world. And commercials we made and stuff like that. <clears throat> commercials, uh, TV shows, movies, game shows. Like, I, yeah. I think my song is is the theme of like I have a song that I wrote for that project that is like the theme of some Polish game show or something. Like I'll just see like royalties of things I've never heard of. That's amazing. Yeah, in different languages and stuff. So we made this exclusive deal where I was going to write 20 songs and, and do like a record through the company, like a Bo Black record. They, you know, did, they printed out like vinyl and all this stuff and, you know, sent it out to all these companies. And yeah, it, it basically was my training because I had to write and produce 20 songs all by right. myself. Um, so quickly, like what skills did you accumulate during that time for production? Just like what kind of things off the bat that you were like, I got good at this. I got good at that. I mean, it was everything. I mean, just being able to make something sound like a master recording, you know, just I tortured my friends asking them questions for over a year. Like, what do I do here? Having technical issues, you know, how do I, what's like, how do I EQ a bass? You know, I don't know what the, I don't like, how come I don't hear the bass when I, so that's like a whole lesson you need to learn how to do that properly. Yeah. It's funny. I I, I found a picture not that long ago of when I was recording that I had an iMac, like this little M box and, and like a mic. And that was like all I had. Yeah. And that was, I don't know, it was like 11 years ago now. And yeah. So yeah, I, I, I did these 20 songs and I was really like, I was really into the kinks at the time. So I was, I wanted to do all these like little quippy, Englishy, cute, happy songs, you know, like I just wanted all these, like only happy songs. I didn't want to do anything heavy. And, you, and these songs you were creating like the music for, but you were also singing on each one or is it some of them? Yes. Just, yeah. I had to do like literally yeah. everything. Yeah. It was as if I was going into a studio with a band and, you know, but I had to be the band. Which is what you do now. Right? Yes. That, it, it was, yeah. it was, that was my training for that. And then from that, as well as also getting more licenses with the record and, you know, it just started building this thing of like, okay, doing music for, for television or, or film. Yeah. I got then like, I don't know how it happened, but I, I got into freelancing for commercials. Right, which I remember, and we can cut this part out, you didn't love that part of everything. And and then totally can cut this out if you're like listening. If you're like, you do not have to, no. You didn't love it. You don't have to cut this You were not about it. You were just like, I just didn't like the idea. And I think it was partly because if I remember, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but like you would create these stuff and you would only get money. You would only get commission if they chose it. So it was kind of like that. Was it that? No, it's that's no. not. It, I would get a demo fee, but it was it was a right. very small demo fee. I mean, it was you know, yeah. I mean, I would have to basically what what I hated about it was just two things I hated about it. Because on one end, one hand, it was like that was real training too. Yeah. Because 
I had to produce so much and I really had to learn different styles of music and also scoring the picture, which was huge. Like that, I'd I'd never done that before, but it was a hustle. I mean, I, there was a point I was doing 20 tracks a month to be able to get one commercial on the air. Right. And then, you know, I would, the dem I'd have to do 20 that if I didn't get a commercial, it'd be enough demo fees to live essentially. I, and then I I worked in-house for, for a jingle house, what they call them for about, I don't know, 10 months or something. And that, that was really good too. Cause I, that was good training for me as well. Just being around other people doing it and kind of working for a company, which I never did before. I was never an employee, you know, like, I don't think you've ever done again. Right. No. Cause after that, still, when I got fired from there and I got let, I, I guess not fired, but I got let go because they were, the company was um, struggling and how they were getting paid. Basically they weren't getting paid quick enough to keep on a couple of their composers, which was an interesting experience too. I've never been fired before. Yeah. That was kind of Especially cool, from a what, job where you were not thrilled with anyway. Like that's like a tough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and going back to that, the reason why I hate it is because yeah. one, you're, you are treated like you're, you're on call all day long for, to revise tracks, to do tracks, because you would get a brief for the commercial, like the day before they needed the track. It was never, they never gave you time. It was always like, we need this right away. And a brief is just like the description, right? Of like what yes. the scene is or what the, yeah. Exactly. What the commercial is, uh, they give you the materials, everything. And you write, yeah. you write the briefs now, right? Or no, I, I still get briefs, but they're different briefs because they're, yeah. they're specifically Specific for, ep- for episodes. Yeah. 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 Okay. No, that's okay. Yeah. I would get these briefs like the day before. So it, it was, I was constantly, and then, you know, I'd go out to lunch and then I'd get a call like, Hey, we need a revision, like in the next hour. And I'm like, Oh, I gotta go. Yeah. And I leave. That was grueling. And then also the way you're treated as a commercial composer is you're like the lowest on the totem pole. They don't give you credit for anything. Your name is never credited. It's always wow. the company that you're working with that's credited. Even wow. Like I've had commercials that I've written music for win awards that went to the company that I sent the track yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. And you're also, you're getting paid. You think you're getting paid decently, but what the house is getting paid is, so is like, yeah. For like doing that. I think I did. So including the time as an in-house composer, I was doing that for like, I think almost five years. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had, I think like, I don't know. I I mean, I think in that time I had close to like a hundred commercials. I mean, there there was a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of the commercials Uh, that are on your website right now are, I think some of those. Oh my God. That website, that, that website is so, I haven't touched that website in like five Oh I had my to God. do it. Yeah. I got to do something about that. Then. But it was funny because there, there, there was a moment and, and we'll go back to, this is the part where I reprimand you lightly. Like we <laughs> don't hear about any of those. So during that time we would get not like good at that. through, no, you're not like through the grapevine, some sort of like, Oh yeah, Bo did that. Like Bo did the Avino commercial with Jennifer Aniston. Bo did all the Wendy's commercials with like the, the redhead, you know, who was like the Wendy girl. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, it was all just this new information. <laughs> and then like, you know, I think I remember like, you know, our grandmother, Nami, like she played for me something that you did, I think for Target. I don't know if it was chosen or not, but it was mm-hmm. so good. And she was like, just don't tell Bo that I 
I played it for you because he, I promised him I wouldn't tell anyone or I wouldn't like show it to anyone. I was like, God, why is he so she probably, bad at sharing this? She, she probably showed you something that didn't air yet. That might have been it. That that, been. And yeah, and she shouldn't have done that, but whatever. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I did. I did. There were a couple of like big things, actually. There was like yeah. the first, I did the first Google commercial, the first like Target home commercial. I yeah. think that's the one you're talking I think about. That's what I'm thinking of. There were, yeah, there were a bunch of like really kind of cool spots, but I mean, I guess I never promoted and I still don't promote anything I do like rarely because I, you know, I don't know. I I guess I feel like I just, I'm so just immersed in it. And, and I also have this thing where I just, I feel like it's not enough yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I start promoting this thing, that's all I'm going to have. I, it's a weird yeah. negative as mindset. As you know, it's weird and it's pr- not true. No, it is. It is weird. Cause I'm, I'm like, I'm not like where, look, I don't think any artist should feel content at any point. Yeah, I, okay. That's a horrible thing for a healthy person, you know, but you should never be content with your art or where you are in your career. Otherwise you will not move forward. If, if you get content in what you're doing, it's very hard. You could still enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. But I always foresee something like next, not yeah. so much better, but the next thing, Yeah, you know, and, and that changes too. Like yeah. I used to be, I used to have this thing in my head where I was like, oh, I want to do like movies. I want to do this big movie yeah, thing. I remember that. I'm, I'm not so interested in movies hey, right now. I, I think, think I, television. I think I did ask you that like a few years ago. I was like, what would you want to do next? You're like, I really want to do movies. Yeah. I'm not yeah. so interested. No, I, I think television is where it's at. I think. You know, I mean, I'm I'm always going to be a huge movie lover, but I I feel like I'd rather be, I even like the process of television that you can do something for years. Yeah. You know, as opposed to like one thing for a couple of months, they like takes up, you know? Yeah. But even that, sometimes I, that changes for me. Sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe I just continue doing what I'm doing and then pivot to something completely different, which I I don't know what. I think that'll happen. I think at some point. Yeah, that, that opportunity could come up and you'd be like, okay, I want to take it. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm happy with what I'm doing. It's been like a huge shift in my life for sure. I've written more songs than I ever thought I could in my life. So let's, so let's get there. So you, you get let go from this commercial agency, right? And now what? I, well, I started freelancing and okay. I, I, I remember I took like two days where I created this whole this whole cold email that I would just send. I, I researched every jingle house wow. in the country. And I just, I put this perfect paragraph together, pitching myself and then put a reel together. I did this in like two days. I was like up till like four in the morning and I just sent it out to all these people. And I heard back from, I think like five or six of them Yeah, out of, I don't know how many. And yeah. And they started sending me these com- competitive spots. And then, you know, I would say a couple months into it, I had like 10 houses that I was doing spots for and rotating all these things. And it became really, you know, really lucrative and, and just kept me busy and just, yeah, it it was all I did for a long time. And you were making more money, right? I was making, yeah, as a freelancer, I was making a lot more money. And you get the credit. No, 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 no credit. No, you never, when you're a commercial composer, you, you don't get credit. No, wow. it's, it's terrible that, 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 that needs is. to change. Yeah. But 
I mean, there's just so many, you know, also the other part of the commercial part that's bad is dealing with people at the ad agencies who are at the mercy of their clients and going nuts. And sometimes you'd get the feeling that they put you through so many revisions that they'd just be doing it to like justify their job Mm. and their billing. Right. Because a lot of the times I do a ton of revisions and they wind up going with like the original thing or nothing at all. I wonder wonder if it was just like their opinion. And so they just like didn't share with anyone else. They're like, in my opinion, you should be revising this, that, and this and that. And then at the end, they'll give it to the client. The client's like, oh no. I think opinion opinion. is, is a kind word. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what was going on. I'll tell you a little story that I always think about. I did a commercial for... I think it was like TurboTax or something. And it was just like this groove based thing. It was very simple. It didn't really go anywhere. And they, I got on a call and they're like, Hey, can we have like this crescendo at the end of it? And I'm I'm like, okay, you know, so I revised the tracks that like it's this groove and it builds and it builds. And then it like, what? And ends at the end. And I send it off and I get another call like, Hey, can we talk about this? We're not really feeling this crescendo. Like we, could we really get like this crescendo? We need, we really want to hear this crescendo. I'm like, okay, I don't know what the hell's going on here. So I, I like exaggerate the hell out of it where I, you know, it just builds and then like huge ending. Yeah. I get another call and they're like, so we don't know what a crescendo is. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. They were using a word they've heard before in music, not knowing what it is. And were directing me to do this thing. They just wanted the chord to change or something. They just wanted like a change. Oh my God. But they were trying to use this word. And uh, I mean, that's painful. How about this? Here's another one. I, and this is, this is what shows how at the mercy you are to the ad agency. I did an old Navy commercial where the singer says, or I was the singer, I guess. And I said, like, styles galore. So something singing styles galore. And I get a call at three in the morning, waking me up from the guy at the music house going, Hey, I need you to do this right now. They want you to say styles with one syllable. Styles. Not styles. Styles. I need you to do this right now. That's the sort of shit you're dealing with when you're doing that. Yeah. So I was happy to get out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So how (laughs) did you get out of it? I had a connection that brought me to Disney television animation. Yeah. And I had this really good meeting where... I played my music and the head of the department, this guy named Jay Stutler, who is probably one of the best people in the world said, Oh, okay. Uh, when can we get started with, you know, well, let's do something now. And he, he, they, they literally handed me a show like right away, which wound up not happening, which is really strange. Yeah. What was um, the show? I wonder if I'm allowed to say it. Uh, yeah, it's okay then. Yeah, I don't know if it's I fine. could say it. But were you, but were you given the whole show? Were you given the theme song of the show? I was given the, the songs and score. Yeah, all the music yeah. for the show. I didn't even have to compete. Wow. But what happened What happened was I was given the show. It wasn't greenlit yet. It was still being developed, which is typical. 
you know, they'll attach a composer or songwriter even before it's greenlit to be able to put like a sizzle thing together or just something. Yeah. And I was working on it. And in the meantime, I did this uh, theme song for the show called Miles from Tomorrowland, which was which pretty was successful. Oh, so good. That Such was a, a good, good one. Um, and I was doing like one off things for other shows for them. And the show gets greenlit. Right. Yeah. I'm off to the races. And in about a month into it getting greenlit, I get a call from Jay and he goes, they've canceled the show. And he said, and I got to tell you, I've been in this business for like 15 years and I've only ever seen a show get canceled after being greenlit twice. Wow. So it's very rare. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wonderful. I'm so glad I get to be a part of the the rarity. Yeah, I've had that. I've had that. The rare cancellation. Yeah. And he said to me, he's like, look, though, he said, don't don't worry about it, because what's going to happen is this is going to leave you open to do something that you might not have been able to do. Right. And. About a month after that, I got Lion Guard. I got the show Lion Guard. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't have been able to do Lion Guard if I was doing the other one. And that changed ever, That changed my life. Yeah. That was just huge. It was a continuation of The Lion King, which I loved The Lion King when I was younger. And I got to do real songs. Yeah. And and then, you know, they, they made me like a artist attached to it. It wasn't just like the songwriter. They, they made a music video, which I well, try so not to talk about. Well, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to talk about for a second. First of all, I think it has over like 9 million views. So it's not like this is a small music video. And then two, I always thought that was amazing for many reasons. One, I'm proud of you and happy for you, all that stupid stuff. And then oh. two, you know, here you were like, you know, trying to be like the face of a music video, like having people, you know, doing that whole thing, trying to be a musician in that regard, going a whole other way, right. Of your own accord, going a a different way, creating these jingles. And then all of a sudden they're calling you and they, I mean, they never call the composer to do the music video. It's like bizarre. Very strange. I don't know. I, I, I think that, you know, the people that I was working with at Disney, I became very close to, and I think it started because they were doing these, industry promotional conferences where, you know, like with other people in the industry and they would have, they would set up this whole presentation and they wanted me to perform the song at live at these, these things. And even like the, I forgot what it's called. D23 convention, the Disney convention. It's like the the Disney comic-con thing. They had me perform there and, and I got to, become a bit close with some of the people and I don't know, somebody, I don't know who it was specifically said, let's make a music video and put Bo like as the artist doing, I mean, it made no sense to me at the time. I thought it was amazing. And wait, and they told me two weeks before we shot. Right. Right. That's the hard part. That's the part that like you weren't ready for it at all. (laughs) I know. And for two weeks I starved myself to at least get down to like, a somewhat decent weight because I was like I, I wasn't camera ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you're yeah. frustrated about your hair. You had to wear the hat. Well, we're not ready <laughs> for this. Like, I'll tell you why I had to wear the hat. I I was bleaching my hair at the time, <laughs> and when I found out about the video, I was like, oh shoot! Like I have to go and do it again, and I didn't leave enough time between the last one. Oh, and a ton of my hair fell out. It got oh. like burnt, like it was terrible. Like 
so much of my hair just fell out from from ble- over bleaching it. Of, of camera ready. Yes, and basically, wow. I was working with the stylist, and he was like, "Hats? <laughs> Maybe you wear some hats." <laughs> hats? They were cool hats. So, I like the hats. Yeah, no, and it just it happened to work. I found a hat for for every look. Uh, you could tell my head is covered the whole time because it was just I was completely yeah I was over bleached. Was it and, fun? Like aside from the parts that kind of sucked, like was that fun to do? Or it was really? one day. Yeah. And no, it wasn't that much. It was grueling okay. that day. Yeah, it, I, I think we, we started at like six in the morning and ended at like four in the morning. It was, it was one of those things yeah, yeah. where it was just like, it was freezing and it, it was like, it was a yeah. Fireplace, Bo. There was a fireplace. I'm just kidding. It was only for part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the fireplace bit, actually we had to do twice. Oh. We had to reshoot it because they forgot to do the projections on the wall in the back of the line guard. Right. So you couldn't do that in post. I just assumed they did that in post. All I know is that we did that pretty early on, like in the evening. And then I shot the rest of the video and around like two in the morning, a Disney exec said, no, we need, we, we didn't do the projections. And they're like, all right, everyone back, reshoot the whole thing. Great. Yeah. That was, I mean, look, it, it, I think now looking at it, it was awesome. It was, yeah. it was a cool experience. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea, you know, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it was, it was surreal. Cause it was like, are you telling me like to be an artist again here? Like what, what's happening? I'm like I'm yeah. trying to stay in the background. Right. And then this is happening. Luckily it wasn't something that was continued <laughs> with yeah. the channel. You know, it was a yeah. one-off, which I'm happy about, but yeah. And the show was a huge success. The soundtrack was like a huge success. And um, yeah, the soundtrack was number two on like, what was it like? Al- it was right behind Al- Hamilton on the soundtrack charts. That's yeah. nuts. That's yeah. nuts. I know. And so Damn Hamilton beat me out. Well, you know, Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's just break it down for a second. Cause you were talking about all the training, all the preparation for being able to produce and create something like this. So for the line guard specifically, how many mm-hmm. songs do you think you did? Because I know for a while it was like... I know exactly how many yeah. songs. How many? 93 songs. 93 in three years, right? Yes. Insane. Yeah. 93. So you did 93 songs. Yes. A in lot. three years. And there was way more, and, obviously, because you did other shows, but that's... Well, yeah, I was working on this Mickey show and that, you know, had I think we're just finishing it now. I mean, that was like six years. And that, I think, now has had over like 100... It's like 103 or something. And Yeah. And then I, you know, I, I did a a season of the show called the rocketeer and that had about like yeah. 25 songs i did a couple more theme songs i mean yeah like i i did a count not that long ago and i was yeah i think a little over 300 songs yeah in about five to six years and let's break it down for people because i know but so you do all the instruments right for these yes. for the most part or entirely i'm not i'm not sure all, yeah all entirely the music, all the, so what i mean unless there's something oh yeah what are well, some of the instruments? Because I know you've had guitar, to bass, yourself. yeah, guitar, bass, piano, and then with, you know, with piano comes any sort of keyboard sound, or you know, I, I'll I'll dial up strings, you know, all sorts of stuff in that. Drums, or that was my first instrument. That was your first instrument ever. Yeah, I remember you in high school playing drums. By the way, do you really? I do. I have that memory of you playing drums, and, and you were wearing really baggy pants. And I was like, "It is was this a nice style." I know, but I was like, "Is this the style?" Because you were just no, old enough for style. me that I was like, 
I don't, I don't know this style, but he's playing drums and he has these really baggy pants. But anyway, we all had the Jinko jeans and the, the, I don't know what else, but Fubu, oh, all those things. Yeah, we oh, had Long enormous. It was everyone in the nineties had sure, that. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, just kidding. So, <laughs> so I I read somewhere because you know you stalk people for these type of things. I read somewhere <laughs> that you always start with the drums. Is that true? Yes. Really, you read that somewhere? Wow. Yeah, I'll have the song in my head, and then I will basically map it out like linearly. Is that a word? Yeah. Linearly. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't sound right. Okay. I think Probably so. not. Like in a linear fashion way, fashion, yeah. I will map out the song and just do the drum part. Like while singing it and, you know, hearing it all in my head, I'll have the beat, I'll put the beat down and then I just build it from there. It's always yeah. cool to build from the drums. I don't, I don't know why. Heck. Typically, I mean, once in a while I'll, I'll just do piano first or something. Yeah. If it's something that's a little more complicated and I haven't figured out rhythmically what I want to do, but yeah, it's always the drums. Cool. Um, and it's one of the things I, I like to play. I don't, I have an electronic kit and I dial it into all these like virtual drums, which sound amazing. Yeah. And I always want to play it live. Like I have a lot of composer friends that don't do that. Like they, they play with their fingers on their keyboard and it probably saves them a lot of time, but yeah, Not it makes yet. a difference. Yeah. And so just with the amount of songs you've had to put together, I mean, some people, this is one question I really have. How many, I mean, there's so many people who have problems putting together one song, five songs, enough for a whole album. How are you able to put out such great songs, but the quantity of songs you have? Like how do you come I, up with this stuff? Like how do you go? I, okay, I, you- I don't, I, I wish I had a, yeah. a really good answer to that. I don't know. I, 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 it's out of necessity. That's number one. I know that. Yeah. Because it's just, it's my job. Yeah. I got to do it. I'm not going to lie and say that all the songs are completely different from each other. Yeah. A lot of them, you know, I mean, basically what happens is you use all your tricks and then you kind of use your tricks again in a different way. And then you got to create new tricks and then you use those tricks and then you mix the new ones with the old one. It's like, no, it's great. I don't, I honestly don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Sometimes I, I used to be really scared of burning out yeah. because of that, because there's so much needed. Yeah. And now I'm not, and I don't care. I don't think I, yeah. I if I haven't burnt out at this point, I'm not going to burn out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I just, I just quality, you know, the thing is you, you have to know like the quality is not always going to be at the highest standard yeah. when you have to write that amount. But we'll ha- what will happen is you, you could still write good songs and then once in a while write great songs. Yeah. The idea is just to never write bad songs, I guess, yeah, or something it's a good goal. Something mediocre is the worst thing, I think. I'd rather a bad song than a mediocre song. Okay. And I think as long as you have a good sense of melody, then you can make anything sound good. I had a a previous mentor on the podcast. His name is David Gray. He was an executive producer and writer for like Madam Secretary and big shows. And he was talking about the writing process. And he said, you know, a lot of it is affected by just having a deadline. Because some, I I think I got the idea, like some people are so precious from creating whatever it is, writing, acting, creating in some sort of way. But he said, just the act of having a deadline just allows you to push it out there and then not have to worry about being too precious and perfecting it. And 
I think that's that's a really great point. Yeah, because especially as you know, artists typically don't have like structure. You know, we, yeah. we all struggle with structure in our lives. Yeah. And so when you are put into a box, it, it actually is, it, it is a good thing. I know yeah. the whole outside box of the box is, you know, this is supposed to be important, but well, no, I think, really, I think if you're in the box, you can kind of push your way out and figure out, but at least you have, I hate to say structure, but like, you know, you have like specific guidelines, like you have a place for yes. your st- structure to live. Yeah. It, I mean, your mind, your mind becomes a lot more focused on yeah. the task, just the task and not like all the other things that, you know, mm-hmm. that can come from creativity. Yeah. A, a deadline is huge. I mean, I think that that has been, yeah, that, that would be the thing that keeps me going actually. Yeah. That's a, and, that's a really good point. And when you get like a brief or something, or you, when you get some sort of concept for a scene or a thing that you have to write music for, does it come to you or do you just kind of have to sit down and play around with instruments and have it like, how does that work? That's a good question. I, it's kind of changed over the years, but now that I am at like the 300 song mark, yeah. yeah, what I do is I will look at the brief and then I will walk away mm. and I will spend a week maybe, or two, depending on what's going on with everything else, just kind of having it in the back of my head. I won't, I won't think about it. I, I, I won't sit down and hammer away at anything. So I'll have it kind of ruminate in my head. Yeah. And then, you know, it's always there in the back, like trying to figure it out. And then something hits me where I just like hear something. Mm-hmm. I hear a melody or I hear the whole thing. And then what I will do is I will then go sit down and I will hammer it out in about three to four hours. Yeah. I work like really quiet and slow in my head and then super loud and fast when I actually put it out there. Right. Like I, I will not spend more than five to six hours on, on anything. Yeah. doing production. Otherwise I'm in trouble. Like you right. can get it done that quickly if you're, if you have the focus, you know, yeah, I won't sit and mix something for days. I won't sit and figure out a guitar part. It's just like, go, go, go. Don't be precious about anything. Just put it out there. And you finish and, it. And you finish it. And that that's worked for me so far. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, with what I do though, because there's a lot of voice actors and character actors singing the songs. Yeah. I will sometimes just do a basic piano and drums demo for them to sing to so that, yeah, that makes you sense. could change the key or, you know, sometimes yeah. you have to, like, I, I won't bother doing a whole production if I have to change the key because I have to replay everything. Yeah, yeah. So once in a while, it'll be pretty basic, but usually I'm just like, okay, here's the song. Boom. Got it. But it's you have to do that with multiple songs though. Like you have to get a brief yes. and then you're probably in a given week having multiple songs that are just ruminating in the back of your head. Well, yeah, I'll be doing that in my head while I've already, while I'm now hammering on the thing on that another... was in my head before. Right. Or just doing production for something before or, you know, directing. Cause I direct all the vocal sessions too with the actor. You do. I've, I went to I one do. of them, which was amazing. I went to the one where I forgot. Oh yeah. Name, but she was the one you got the Emmy nomination for. She, she, she did that song. Right. What's her name? The one from the Fosters and 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Maya Mitchell. Maya Mitchell. So she was the one who sang the song you got the Emmy nom for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a cool session to, to watch. Okay. We only have a couple of minutes. I forgot about that. It was a good day. I, I enjoyed yeah. that. I enjoyed seeing you at your work. But that's a cool part of... I, I, there's a lot to talk about. So that's I, the we best, only have a couple that's minutes. The best, that's no, the best that's part? Right, like collaborating in studio? That's my favorite part. I mean, that's been the biggest bummer of, of yeah. what's... You know, the lockdown is... And now I'm doing all these Zoom sessions. It's not the same. It's not the same. No, I mean, I used to love because because I'm so locked in my own room doing all my stuff. It's great to like get out and like actually see people you're working with. Yeah. But during the pandemic, were you able to do that up until the lockdown or have you just not been doing? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I mean, our lockdown in California started in March. So since then, everything's on Zoom, you know, and it's a bummer because because of that, there was this huge backup of sessions. Now it's like now I'm like blocked out for like hours and hours doing yeah. sessions now because they just need to get it all done. It's not fun. Yeah. Okay. So real yeah. quick, rapid fire. Cause I want to just be able to end this and I want to get this really quickly. So quickly, who are your mentors? <laughs> you don't have to go into it just for who are like a couple people that, I, that I know. Yeah. Or people you don't know, just whatever comes to mind when you think that like of someone that you like looked up to and inspired or anything that comes to mind when you think mentor. Holy shit. You're going to need to edit this That's space fair. between the, cause I, okay. well, I see the guy Jay, that sounds like a guy who is a little bit like, Oh, a, okay. Yeah. I mean, could be anybody. Yes. Yeah. Jay Stutler, who is the head of he's the VP of music, television, animation. He is definitely a mentor. He's been like my guiding light for sure. I, I owe him so much. I would say our uncle Scott. Yeah is a mentor. Yeah. Way to throw that in. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. kissing ass. No, it's I the know. truth. I know. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, those are people that are like not specific in music, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, not musicians, but yeah, I would say that's a good. Sweet. I like it. Yeah. And then any, I know it's kind of a, not a thing to just quickly talk about, but like, what are, if you could name a couple things that you were like, what are your next term goals? Like if movies are not it, Would you just Mm. want to continue doing television? Is there anything new you want to eventually do? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to, I guess the big thing is develop a musical Mm. from the ground up. Yeah. uh, Whether it's stage or television or or movie, whatever, I'd like to, from the ground up, develop a project like that that. I can help maybe write, create. That's that's a big goal. Yeah. A reason to come to New York for hint, hint. And then lastly, <laughs> what would be just quickly, like one or two things you could say, like advice for people who want to like get to where you are or like create music. I would say the first thing is you never quit because quitters fail. <laughs> I mean, the minute you quit, you're done. That's it. Yeah. So you never quit. I would say if you can, and I know it's harder now with everything that's going on in the world is is find your community, find people who do what you do, learn from every person around you, you know, don't get all high and mighty about your art. Art is fluid. It's not precious. It's supposed to constantly move. And yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, everyone's got their own situation. And I I think again, the, the not quitting is a huge part of it. Yeah. Because you can obviously we all fail. Like even people who are successful fail. And, and the yeah. other thing is try to define what you actually think success is. 
Yeah, that's great. No, that's a good one. I constantly, like I'm telling myself to do that. It's on my to-do list is to recreate my idea of what success means. Yeah, because we all, I think we all start in the business with having like, you know, awards and recognition and, you know, all these things that we think success is. And really success is, I think, being able to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. Like being in a place that I can do whatever I want. Like that's it. And, and, you know, whether that equates to like having enough money to be able to do that or just feeling the freedom to just say, I just want to, you know, I don't want to write today. I'll, I'll write, you know, I, now I want to do this and I want to do that. Like that, that's success is being able to afford that freedom. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes you, you got to, sometimes you have to not, you know, get to do what you want to get to that place, of course, which I think most people do. I think also another bit of advice is stop comparing yourself to people who you think are more successful than you. Because one major thing I've learned getting older is that everything is relative. Mm. Everyone has got essentially the same issue. Mm. You know, everyone is going through their own thing. The people you think have it better than you, it, it's never what you think, you know? And I, I, and we're, we're in a culture now where we're constantly bombarded with people, you know, showing you how good their life is from a very narrow, narrow perspective. And, and it makes you feel like crap sometimes because you think, oh, I'm, you know, why am I not there? And I want to do that. And I want to, you know, but the truth is you know, we're all in the same boat. Well, it's a great way to end it on. Thank you so much. That gives me a lot to think about for my own personal view on things. But well, this has you been have great. my number. I you do, are my yeah. cousin. I guess I can call you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bo. So You're great. welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment you know would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I love reading your messages. Uh, you can also find me at, at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast, and I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.